Jesus, we are so grateful that we get to be here today to, to praise your name, to say your name, to learn all the ways that it is the most beautiful, the most wonderful, the most powerful name above all names. Lord, help us to see who you are truly not our preconceived notions, not the Sunday school painting that's in the back of our minds. Lord, help us to see you, Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Uh, my name is Kristen, if we haven't met yet. I am nobody special. They just let me come up here and talk sometimes. So uh, it's pretty exciting for me. Um, so I'm really excited to be with you all this morning. I've had um, a lot of coffee and I'm eight months pregnant. So I'm a little jittery. Uh, if I get out of breath, it's probably a combination of those two things. Um, in addition to you know talking to a room full of people. So bear with me. Um, but I am really excited to be with you all today as we continue our series on who Jesus expresses himself to be in the seven I am statements found in the book of John. Now, to give you a little background, these I am statements are not just giving us insight into the character traits of Jesus the man, they're also a flashing neon sign backwards to um, the original I am, the first I am that we find in the book of Exodus at the burning bush. And so we're reading these statements in John where lingering behind these really lovely metaphors about Jesus being a loaf of bread or a light or, you know, all these other things, there's actually something bigger happening. Um, Jesus' identity as the Messiah, as the Son of Man, is being questioned and put on trial by the Pharisees and religious leaders of his time. These aren't just cute parables that we can sew onto our pillows. These statements were so controversial at the time that uh, the response was often not great. At best, the crowds would leave in confusion, they'd be arguing with one another, disagreeing on what on earth Jesus means. At worst, these statements had the Pharisees and religious leaders picking up stones, like literally ready to kill Jesus on the spot. Hopefully neither one of those things happened today. So if I had to pick, I'd rather you be confused than stone me. So keep that in mind. Um, okay, anyway. My point is, is what Jesus is saying in these statements was and is a big deal. And today we're actually tackling two of the I am statements from Jesus, that he is the door or the gate and that he is the good shepherd. So you get a two for one special. You're welcome. Um, they kind of flow really nicely together in John chapter 10, uh, which is where we're going to be today, by the way. Um, so it feels appropriate just to kind of hit them both at the same time. But before we dive into what it really means for Jesus to be a gate and also the good shepherd, let's take a second and consider some of the other roles that Jesus is painting in this picture that we see here. Again, if you want to turn to John chapter 10, we're just going to get real cozy in there today, okay? So, like most of us, 
I have that darn tendency to open my Bible and say, what does this have to say about me? Right? Like, I'm a human. I can't help it. Um, side note, the Bible's actually not usually always trying to answer that question. Like, it's not always about us. I know it's shocking. Um, but we'll go ahead and indulge really quickly. So if we take a look at John 10, where Jesus is the shepherd and the gate to the sheepfold, that makes us sheep. Good job. Good job. Good job, team. Um, so let me give a proper introduction. My name is Kristen, and I'm a sheep. Um, and now it's your turn. Thank you. Hi, Kristen. Thank you. Uh, now it's your turn. Uh, so I want you to do the corniest thing ever and turn to your neighbor and introduce yourself. My name is so-and-so, and I'm a sheep. Three, two, one, go. Nice to meet you. You did good job, guys. Thank you so much for indulging me. That was great. We can all go now. Um, that was the end of the sermon. <laughs> so other than feeling a little silly, was anyone a little uncomfortable calling themselves a sheep? You can be honest. Okay, a few, thank you for that honest hand back there. Um, and it's not surprising if you did, because sheep get a really bad rap. We are told, especially if you grow up in the church where they're used as kind of a metaphor all the time, that they're dumb, they're foolish, they're easily led, they're blind, like there's some myth that they have bad eyesight. I don't know. Uh, in recent years, it's a even more triggering because that term sheeple gets thrown around quite a bit in certain political ideologies. And in a time and a place where being a free thinker or being a skeptic is so highly valued, admitting to being a sheep, even amongst all the other sheep, it can feel a little uncomfortable. Now, while I was prepping, I did some research on actual sheep because I'm a nerd and I can't help myself. And to be honest with you, I feel like sheep as a species need a new PR manager, right? Like, it's not fair that they have such a bad reputation because they're really not that dumb. Uh, they have excellent eyesight, fun fact, and uh, they can even memorize and recognize faces of other sheep and of humans. Now, part of their bad reputation is the fact that they are prey animals. They're easy targets for predators. They're not the strongest, the fastest, or the most graceful, especially in a leg race against a coyote, but like, relatable, right? And more importantly, they're flock animals, another reason we tend to be a little wary of them. But they're literally built to be in community with one another. They depend on that for their safety. And I could go on and on with more sheep fun facts, and me and Joey are probably going to talk about it after church. Um, but really, my point is that the metaphor kind of tracks when we're being honest with ourselves. And as much as we want to be free and independent thinkers, especially in this American landscape, you know, like, I think for myself. No one can tell me what to do or think. It's not really true. We are made to follow someone or something. And we are made to be part of a flock for better or for worse. Sometimes our inclination is to follow a lot of someones or a lot of some things. And it could be, again, a certain political party or political ideology. It could be social media influencers, 
celebrities, celebrity pastors, even authors. And at the end of the day, we all truly, deep down, we want someone to tell us what to do and where to go and ultimately who to be. And if we let them, those someones will line up and just give us half-baked answers of what they think will lead us in the right direction. Some of them even mean well. And in the middle of all of that, here is Jesus saying, I am the one you're looking for. So if we look at our passage, so much of what Jesus is saying in this specific chapter is meant to separate himself from the Pharisees. These are the people who are trying to be the someones of that day. They are trying to be the gates to access God. But Jesus is calling them out because they're not the gate. They're thieves and robbers. So let's read, starting in verse 1. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Now the Pharisees, they think they know the way. Like, I really don't think... They were plotting, like, how, oh, Jesus is the Messiah, but let's just, like, trick everyone. Like, they really think Jesus is nuts, okay? But they're clearly missing what's right in front of them. And it just takes a quick look back at chapter 9 to see that Jesus is calling them out for being blind, not being able to see what's happening right there. They're trying to lead people to Yahweh, but absolutely refuse to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah, despite all of the wonders and signs and miracles that they're witnessing. They refuse to accept that Jesus is the actual way, the true gate. They're trying to, it's like they're trying to go through the back door, but there is no back door, right? It's like us trying to get to Hawaii without having to cross an ocean. Like, it's not happening. It's not Unless some, you know, you guys know something I don't know. But we got to get over there somehow, right? So instead we learn that there is one way to the Father. One way to abundant life. And his name is Jesus. Now, we'll have a chance to dig into this more when we get to John 14. So I'm not going to land here for too long. Because in John 14, Jesus declares that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. So not only is Jesus the only way into salvation and abundance and to the Father himself, he follows up this metaphor with another. We get the second I am statement. Jesus is also the good shepherd coming to lead his sheep. So Jesus is not just a means to an end. He's not just a, a something we walk through. He is the end in himself. He is walking with us continually. So shepherds in the ancient Near East were relatively common. They cared for the sheep, led them where they needed to go, showed them which pastures to graze at, kept them safe from predators. They were with them almost constantly, sometimes even sleeping with them at night and keeping watch. 
And shepherding in the Bible kind of comes up pretty often with some of these really big leaders. It's like a, almost a prerequisite for leading people. Why? Because we're all sheep, right? So some of the patriarchs of the faith were shepherds, including Abraham, Isaac, Moses, King David. There's probably some more. Um, and even God the Father is referred to as a shepherd, right? We talked about it last week with Psalm 23 is leading us through the valley of the shadow of death. And the imagery comes up again in Isaiah 40. It says, yes, the Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. Isn't it interesting we get this this dichotomy happening, this might and power of the Father on display in addition to his gentle care for his flock. And so shepherd really needed both of these things to be a good shepherd. So this is not new imagery for these people. It's likely not new imagery for many of us who grew up in the church. And so now Jesus is using this imagery to categorize himself as a shepherd, which might be reminding those listeners of the patriarchs of the faith, of Abraham and Moses and David, um, or reminding them of Yahweh himself. And he's also, in the same breath, putting himself in sharp contrast to the Pharisees again, because remember, he's, his identity is on trial, and he is trying to show that I am something new. I am not th that thing, right? So he says, starting in verse 11, still in chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand, Pharisees, will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him, and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. Now, these Pharisees were merely hired hands. They're just placeholders for the real thing, and pretty crappy placeholders at that. Their weak leadership and lack of true care for the flock means that wolves get free reign to attack. And what's the goal of the wolf, which would be like the enemy, right? His goal is not only to physically harm the sheep, but to also scatter them, to isolate them, to separate them. And to be honest, for people and for sheep, there's really not a fate much worse than being scattered or separated from our flock. You see, the hired hands, they just don't have skin in the game. Jesus does. These are his sheep. He knows their names. He, and they know him, and they follow him. And beyond the call of a normal shepherd, Jesus goes so far as to lay down his life for them. So he continues on in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. This is very subtle. But this is Jesus widening that gate, opening the door 
for the Gentiles to come in. No longer do you have to be a descendant of Abraham to be able to access the Father. Jesus is saying, my sheepfold is a lot bigger than you guys realize. Now the Father loves me because I sacrifice my life so, so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to, and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. So, this metaphor makes sense, right? Like, it's simple enough. We've all admitted we're sheep. We need a shepherd. Boom, there's Jesus, ready to lead us along. He says, you, you know my voice. Come on, let's go. And we're his loyal sheep, and we just follow, right? Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, right? Except, I don't know about you, but it, always, it doesn't always feel like this is the reality of walking with Jesus. So later in this chapter, people are again asking Jesus if he's the Messiah. Again, that's kind of the background of all that's happening in John right now. And he said, I've already told you. Yeah, I'm the Messiah, okay? You just don't believe me. And the proof, the proof is the work that I do in my Father's name. But you don't believe me because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. Now that line, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I know it's supposed to be like a comfort at least that's how I hear it thrown around a lot, especially um, all the time in conversations about the Holy Spirit and discernment. Uh, but if I'm being totally honest, I, it feels sometimes more like a challenge for me to be like a successful Christian than a comfort, right? Like, can I hear his voice? How loud is it? You know, all those things. Am I really listening? Can I hear it at all? Because um, sometimes... I, like, incline my ear, and I don't hear much of anything. Ooh. In fact, if I'm being honest, I've been in kind of a slump for a really long time. See, something really weird happened to me. I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed for a baby for a very long time, years. Sometimes it was just clarity on, like, whether or not to have kids, should we adopt, like, what, what is life going to look like? Um, and then it turned into fervently praying and trying to get pregnant. And then as my slump started and I started to feel disconnected from God, I thought it was because I wasn't getting pregnant. I thought, like, I'm just being spoiled. I'm like a fair-weather Christian. Like, I'm, I only love Jesus when I get what I want, you know. But then I got what I wanted. I got pregnant. And let me tell you, the last eight months have been the numbest and most disconnected I've ever felt from God. And it doesn't make any sense. I can't, I, like, I can't explain it, okay? So there's my vulnerable moment for the day. And I tell you this for a couple of reasons. First, I think it's important to acknowledge that standing on this stage on a Sunday morning does not mean I or anyone else who comes up here has it all together. Not a super Christian. I don't have like a, a S, you know. 
Um, second, I can honestly stand in front of you as a sheep that has gotten a little lost, that has sometimes struggled to hear my shepherd's voice, and sometimes I just stop listening and trying to hear altogether. So, that's where I'm coming from. So everything I say, you are more than welcome to take with a grain of salt, okay? But hear me out. Being in this place, I've realized that maybe we all need to get a little lost sometimes. Or at the very least, we need to own the fact that we will get lost, whether or not we want to. Like, when is the last time you actually got physically lost going somewhere? Like, it sucks, right? Can I say that up here? <laughs> My notes say I hate it. Those are equivalent messages. Anyway, I hate getting lost, okay? It's the worst. I have Google Maps on all the time, even if I've been on the same route about 10 times, just in case. Because the idea of like wasting time, taking a wrong turn, having to turn around, being in somewhere, I'm it, it, like sweating thinking about it. I hate it. Hate it. The worst. But there is something about becoming literally lost that shakes us up kind of in a good way. Getting lost means losing the illusion that we were ever in control in the first place. It requires us to open our eyes and our ears. I mean, what do we do when we're, we're getting lost driving in Cleveland? We like smack the radio, like Beyonce, I do not have time for you right now. I've got to focus. You know, like everyone be quiet eyes are on the road. Like, it makes us hone in and pay attention. Getting lost actually forces us to come to terms with our vulnerability. There's an author, her name is Barbara Taylor Brown, and she talks about getting lost as a spiritual practice, like a discipline that we should engage in periodically. She says, there is something holy in this moment of knowing just how perishable you are. It is part of the truth about what it means to be human, however hard most of us work not to know that. We try really hard not to feel human, don't we? We try really hard not to feel weak. And so it's getting lost that reminds us again that we are sheep. Thank you. We don't have it all figured out. I don't have it all figured out. And a lot of the lesser shepherds that I have tried to turn to for guidance in these last however many months haven't really filled that gap for me either. We are vulnerable, and we need a shepherd that is good. And there's only one of those. The good news is, is that our shepherd does not leave us ever, even if he's slightly out of earshot sometimes. So while I do think owning our lostness and accepting our place in that season is a good reminder of our humanity, our vulnerability, and our need for a good shepherd, it's not really a solution long-term, right? We don't really want to be lost forever, okay? And so I don't have a five-step plan for being able to hear God's voice. Um, I do have some tips from one lost sheep to perhaps another, if you'll humor me. So when in doubt, 
remember that you are part of a flock. You just introduced yourself to a bunch of other sheep, right? He made us to live with and to need one another. And so when I am lingering in the back of this flock, feeling like I can barely see Jesus' head way out there, at least I can look to my left and my right, and I can see, okay, we must be on the right track. Like, I'm not going to fall off of a cliff, okay? And so even though I don't really know where it is we're headed in that big, distant future, I can put one foot in front of the other and know that I'm safe. Now, in terms of hearing God's voice and getting answers to prayers, can I just say, again, take me with a grain of salt, okay? Sometimes we're asking the wrong questions, which means we're searching and searching and waiting for the wrong answers. Doesn't mean God doesn't care about the questions that you're asking, um, but sometimes we're just asking the wrong thing. So often we want to know where to go, what to do next, what job should I, should I quit this job and start this job, should I marry this person, should I X, Y, Z, you name it. And meanwhile, God is just trying to maybe tell you who he is and how he cares for you and who he's calling you to be, like just as a person, not as an employee. And hot take but sometimes we already have the answer right in front of us. There's a pretty famous quote gets thrown around in some theologically reformed circles, which says, if you want to hear from God, read your Bible. If you want to hear from him audibly, read it out loud. And now, I don't love this quote in its entirety because I think it can kind of be a little exclusionary to the works of the Holy Spirit. However, there is something to be said about the fact that um, sometimes the clarity that we're looking for from the Father has already been put in these pages. And we just need to open the book. Um, and maybe the reason we're not hearing anything is because he's already said it. Now, none of these hot tips from the lost sheep are easy answers or quick fixes, but you know, I think that that's okay because there are very few easy answers or quick fixes in this life. In fact, as I was writing this and prepping, I realized, you know, a lot of the sermons that we have heard in this series have kind of landed us in the same place. And I don't think that that's a coincidence. Facing the reality that our lives here on earth sometimes lead us to darkness, searching for a light sometimes surround us in grief and death, searching for resurrection hope. Life sometimes leaves us hungry, looking for the bread of life. And now here we are, a bunch of sheep looking for a shepherd. So this repetition, which was completely unplanned, by the way, I can say on my end, probably on Jenna's end, and Kyle and Holden, everyone who's been up here, this repetition might just be the Father trying to get our attention. We, as a family of sheep, are facing a difficult time of transition ahead. And also, in addition to whatever just general life stuff you have going on. And yet the Father just keeps insisting 
that there is this immense hope before us. So maybe that's why Jesus expressed his identity in John in so many different ways in these I am statements. Because when we as humans are faced with our own humanity and the reality that is life, it is pivotal that we can also see who exactly this Jesus guy is. He's not just offering a one-and-done pass to heaven and good luck, see you later, see you there. Um, no, he's a shepherd, a good shepherd that hears and sees you and knows you and is walking alongside you. He's protecting you, he's feeding you, keeping you out of the mouths of wolves. So even if it's been awfully quiet for you lately, lean into that lost feeling, that vulnerable moment that makes you pause and turn off the radio and get really quiet. Maybe, just maybe, you'll start to hear a whisper. If Jenna wants to come up, she'll lead us in our response time where we get to practice listening to our shepherd's voice. <laughs> 